0: Welcome to the July 2017 Nutritionist Webinar. I'm Marianne Fesenden from AMTS and your English language host. These webinars provide access to technical seminars by internationally recognized speakers. The series presentations are held in English, Portuguese, and Spanish. Paula Torillo from Argentina is hosting the Spanish language webinar, Marcos Neves Pere from Universidade Federal de Lavras, will be hosting the Portuguese language presentation with Marcelo hens from 3R Lab facilitating. There will be a question and answer period immediately following the presentation. Listeners can submit questions through me, Marcos, or Paula. A complete recording of archived webinars, as well as the question and answer session for each, will be available on the AMTS website. are very pleased and honored to host Dr. Dale Ballman, a Professor Emeritus at Cornell University. Dale Ballman is Liberty Hyde Bailey Professor Emeritus in the Department of Animal Science and the Division of Nutritional Scientists at Cornell University. Raised on a dairy farm in Michigan, his undergraduate and graduate degrees were from Michigan State University and the University of Illinois. Bauman's research efforts involve an integration of nutritional, biochemical, and endocrine aspects of metabolic regulation with an overall goal to, one, provide a conceptual basis broadly applicable to all physiological states in biology, two, form the biological basis to enhance the efficiency of animal production, and three, provide an opportunity to design animal source foods consistent with consumer perceptions and health recommendations. With over 800 co-authored scientific articles and 32,000 scientific citations of his research, Bauman is among ISI's highly cited scientists and Science Watch's list of most influential scientific minds. A recipient of the Merrill Outstanding Undergraduate Educator Award from Cornell University, 35 of his graduate students and postdocs have gone on to become faculty members at universities around the world. Elected to the National Academy of Scientists in 1988, Ballman received the USDA Distinguished Service Award and the Alexander von Humboldt Award for U.S. Agricultural Research. Ballman has been a member of several NAS and USDA advisory committees and served as chairman of the NAS NRC Board on Agricultural and Natural Resources and as president of the american society of nutrition he has received awards from various scientifics and professional societies including adsa asas asn council of agricultural science and technology federation of animal science societies and national dairy shrine in addition bauman has received alumni awards from michigan state university and the university of illinois career Achievement Award from Cal's Cornell University and an honorary doctorate from Michigan State University. Dale was recently the subject of an ADSA symposium honoring the contributions he made to industry. And that was quite a long introduction, but um, he's pretty neat. I should also say he was one of my most inspiring professors when I was an undergrad and took his senior seminar class. Dale, welcome to the Nutritionist. I'm going to unmute your mic, so if you want to test and say hello,
1: hello. that was a long introduction. It
0: was I just I pulled it from you, but it was it was worth it Now I'm making you the presenter, so you'll be able to progress through
1: the slides. Come okay, in. let's get started so today this evening, I'm going to talk about dietary induced milk fat depression and and both provide a a background in terms of fatty acids and lipid metabolism a bit, then talk about historically what has gone on in this this area, and then most recently where we've been able to figure out exactly what the cause of this is. Let's start here. This is a beautiful uh, tracing of electron micrograph that Bill Held did. And we have here three mammary epithelial cells. Uh, Active cells, this is how they would look in a cow's mammary gland. Down here at the bottom on the right is the myoepithelial cell that'll respond to the oxytocin for milk letdown. And on the left, this is a capillary with a red blood cell. So we're gonna be talking about milk fat synthesis today. And so this clear globule is milk fat, it was made in the endoplasmic reticulum and then coalesced into this fat droplet. And you can tell here on the left, when it's secreted into the milk fluid as a lumen of the mammary gland, uh, it captures a membrane from the cells. So, so the lipid droplet is encased in a fat globular membrane. And Uh, the, the mammary gland is really an amazing biological factor. In fact, an article in Scientific American suggested that the mammary gland was second only to photosynthesis in terms of biological reactions. And in terms of milk fat, it's really a lipid synthesizing machine. Just amazing the amount of lipid that's made. Let's consider uh, the importance of milk fat in some of the properties that make it of good value Uh, number one we would list would be the flavor texture and manufacturing properties of products and to a very large extent the flavor of dairy products is really related to the fat milk fat composition as you're aware milk fat production also requires a considerable portion of the energy requirement for the cow and we have a situation most recently where we have an increasing consumer demand for milk fat uh, in particular the the consumption of butter and cheese has increased dramatically even though the fluid milk has gone down and and that's partly because there's been a realization in the last uh, few years that that the old ideas that saturated fat represented a health risk were simply incorrect. And and gradually the dietitians and the nutrition recommendations for consumers have begun to be modified to reflect the fact that that the milk is a highly desirable milk and dairy products are highly desirable for their nutrient content and that the saturated fats in milk do not represent a health problem so if we look next at some of the characteristics of milk fat and we'll spend the the first few minutes of this lecture uh, talking about the milk fatty acids i mentioned already and showed you the picture the micrograph of the fat as a lipid droplet surrounded by the phospholipid membrane called the milk fat globular pro- membranes and proteins the fatty acid, the, the fat in, the tri, in this globule is mostly triglycerides. That's a glycerol backbone with three fatty acids that's to it. And the general, in general, we can characterize the milk fatty acids into three categories. And this becomes important for us to understand uh, the dynamics of milk fat production. The first is what we call de novo or newly synthesized fatty acids, and these would be fatty acids that are shorter than 16 carbons. The second, or let's go up down here, the second would be what we call preformed fatty acids. These would be fatty acids. The de novo are synthesized in the mammary gland newly. The preformed are fatty acids taken up from circulation. So they are derived either from absorption from the digestive tract or uh, mobilization of body fat stores. And these are the carbons, the fatty acids, longer than 16 carbons. And then in the middle, we have a mixed source. That's the 16 carbon fatty acids. And they come from both sources. And so roughly one-half of the 16 carbon come from de novo and one-half from preformed. Now, milk fat is really diverse in terms of its fatty acid composition. There are over 400 different fatty acids in milk fat, and this includes many bioactive fatty acids such as the CLA isomers and branched chain fatty acids, And, and part of the reason, a large part of the reason for this large number is due to the rumen fermentation and the fatty acid byproducts made in the rumen. The structure of the fatty acids then, we think of ruminant products as being saturated in fat. And so we have here a four carbon chain. Uh, uh, The carbon has four bonds. So two of them are occupied with the adjacent carbons and then two of them have hydrogen. And so that's a saturated fat. Unsaturated fat, then, uh, loses two of the hydrogens. And instead, you have a the, the bond between these two carbons. And so ruminants are considered saturated, having saturated fat because of the rumen microbes converting saturated fat. Unsaturated fatty acids to saturated. In reality, though, only about uh, half of the fat or even less in ruminants is really saturated. Of the unsaturated fatty acid structures, the double bonds can take two forms. One is a cis form. And that's shown in this diagram, and that's a situation where the two hydrogens are on the same side of the molecule. The other form is the trans form, and that's a situation where the two hydrogens are on opposite sides of the molecule. Now, this makes a, a big difference in terms of the structure of the molecule because trans fatty acids are more straight chain and the cis double bond causes kind of a dog leg shape to the fatty acids. Trans fatty acids, particularly the trans fatty acids arising from partial uh, hydrogenation in uh, preparing some of the oils Of course, they've received a lot of publicity because they're associated with cardiovascular disease. Uh, That's a little different than the trans fatty acids, though, that are in dairy products. Finally, I have to show you one more structure. The the double bonds then can either be conjugated or non-conjugated. Normally in nature, they're non-conjugated, meaning There is an interceding carbon between the double bonds. So you have a double bond, then a carbon, and a double bond. And these two would be as drawn as a cis structure. Shown down here then is a conjugated double bond, conjugated meaning there is no interceding double bond between between, there is no interceding carbon between the double bonds. And that again, gives it very different physical properties. But as we will learn, as we progress here, it, it makes a tremendous difference in the biological properties of the fatty acid. Conjugated double bonds in, or the CLAs, conjugated linoleic acid is a common form. And, and this comes about because of the rumen microbes And this is an intermediate in the biohydrogenation of unsaturated fatty acids in the rumen. So there we've got a bit of a background on the structure. Let's look at a typical composition of dairy milk fat. And that's shown here. These are survey data over a full year period in the United States. So they're average data across all geographic regions and seasons. And if you counted, you would see here, there are bar graphs listed for 13 different fatty acids. Even though there are 400 fatty acids in milk fat, these 13 are the major ones. And even they, you see, differ. Starting on the left here, we see C4 through to beyond 14. These would be de novo synthesized fatty acids. And you can see they're all have the carbon length and then the number of double bonds so on the left side of this diagram they're all saturated no double bonds here's palmitate c16 stearate 18 and then we begin to have the unsaturated fatty acids the major one being oleic acid c181 cis I mentioned about conjugated linoleic acid and here's conjugated linoleic acid you can see it's very small the trans acids are very small the omega-3 fatty acids are relatively minor these other 385 different fatty acids that are in milk fat then are represented here so these 13 are the major ones that are in milk fat and we'll be talking a bit about CLA and the trance fatty acids as we go along so as you're aware uh, milk fat is affected by many factors a portion of those factors are non nutritional and they involve genetics for example uh, the colored breeds typically have much higher milk fat than do Holstein's stage of lactation Milk fat being higher in early lactation and later lactation. Season affects it. parity, and temperature all have an impact on the amount of the percent milk fat in milk. The nutritional factors are listed on the left. And these include things such as fiber in the diet and certain types of feeds, for example, oils or fat supplements. Different feeding strategies, frequency of feeding, for example, and ionophores. And so milk fat is among the most variable then of milk components. The lactose will be relatively constant, always about 5%, because it's the osmoregulator of milk volume. So it's always 5%. Uh, Protein also tends to be constant unless You have inadequate supply of amino acids, but milk fat can vary quite widely due to these various factors. Well, one of the situations then that was recognized uh, over 150 years ago was what we call the low-fat milk syndrome, or diet-induced milk fat depression. And Bougainge was the first. A French scientist was the first one to recognize this and comment on the fact that diets seem to cause a variation in the milk fat content. Uh, Busingay is an interesting man. He's considered the father of scientific research in agriculture. So there are certain diets that this occurs with. Uh, Low fiber. high high grain diets, uh, diets that are high in oils, fish oil, for example, would all be diets where you typically would see uh milk fat depression. And th- this is unique for milk fat. The milk fat can be reduced up to 50%, but other milk components are not affected. So the actual production of the cow the content of lactose and protein are not changed, but milk fat can be reduced by 50% or thereabouts. And in particular, it became a problem, a recognized problem, in the 1940s when we began to use scientific feeding. When we had the first uh, NRC bulletin for dairy cows came out in the 19, early 1940s, and they began to feed cows according to uh recommendations and that meant uh types of diets that are more associated with milk fat depression. In particular it was recognized in nineteen thirty nine at the World's Fair. This kind of represents a a landmark situation because the the clear manifestation of the problem occurred in this Borden's Dairy of Tomorrow, an exhibit that they put on. So they had a rotary parlor set up here with 10 cows from each of five breeds and a situation so the the public could view these. And so these cows were confi- confined in this unit and, and they were fed a pelleted diet. And so that caused quite a dramatic reduction in milk fat, a reduction enough that they had trouble making butter to show the consumers what butter looked like. So that that was clearly a situation that caught people's attention. So there began then an effort that lasted uh, over a uh, the rest of the that deck over the rest of that next fifty years to try to unravel the cause of this milk fat depression, because as we began to feed commercial diets it it was a problem very often, and so the theories as to what caused it were divided into two broad categories: one was a shortage of precursors to make the milk fat. And the second was there's some type of inhibition of milk fat synthesis. These are precursors. This has to do in particular with the fatty acids synthesized de novo because these were fatty acids that were most dramatically affected in milk fat depression. And one theory was that you had a decrease in the acetate production Because acetate furnished most of the carbon to make milk, the de novo synthesis of milk fatty acids. And, of course, that was coming from rumen fermentation. The second theory was the beta-hydroxybutyrate deficiency, another product of rumen fermentation. Beta-hydroxybutyrate furnishes the first four carbons of the de novo synthesized fatty acids. So if that was an adequate supply, we would we would have a problem. And then the final theory here was a glucogenic insulin theory that I'll explain in a moment. So if we look first at the phenotype, you would typically see. uh, So here's an example. Related to the actual acetate shortage theory and also the beta-hydroxybutyrate shortage theory. So we have two columns of data then, a normal diet, and then cows fed a high-grain, low-fiber diet. So here's the milk fat produced. These cows are identical in milk production, uh, but have about a 45% reduction in milk fat synthesis, milk fat output. And one of the things that was observed when you saw the high grain, low fiber diet that caused no fat depression was you had a lower acetate to propanate ratio. Whereas the ratio might normally be 3.2 to 1, now it had decreased to 1. So that gave rise to the idea that you would have an acetate deficiency. However, uh, as the science moved forward, we were able to get radioisotopes to study the actual production of acetate in the rumen and quantify how much was made. And you can see the rumen production of acetate in moles per day in this row. And you see there really was no difference in the acetate production between these two diets. And rather, this marked difference in the acetate to propionate ratio was due to the high propionate production that occurred on these high-grain, low-fiber diets. So these type of diets cause a lower rumen pH, change the microbial population, and the population that's there produces a higher amount of propanate. And in the case of beta-hydroxybutyrate, you see also that here's the production rates, and there really is no no difference there, suggesting that you had a deficiency of beta-hydroxybutyrate. So there really was no support for the idea that you had a shortage of acetate and beta-hydroxybutyrate. <clears throat> However, the high propanate, then is really the basis for this next theory, the glucogenic insulin theory of milk fat depression. I should mention the BFA, the, the measurements of acetate and propanate and butyrate production. That was done in the 60s, 1960s, by groups like uh, Carl Davis and Dick Brown in Illinois. This theory then was the idea that when you did feed a high grain forage diet, you would increase the propanate production. Propanate is absorbed and converted to glucose in the liver and glucose is a, a secretagogue, a stimulant for pancreatic production of insulin. So you'd have more insulin and that this in turn would cause milk fat depression. So the basis for this, is shown here where insulin turns out that it has absolutely no effect on the uptake of nutrients and the rates of milk of fat synthesis in the mammary gland. But insulin does stimulate adipose tissue rates of lipid synthesis. In particular it stimulates the uptake of the precursors. And and so the idea was if you had higher propanate you would have higher insulin, and this really would cause adipose tissue to take up the nutrients. The mammary gland would have short supply and therefore not be able to synthesize the quantity of milk fat needed. So I often refer to this as a competition theory, a competition between adipose and mammary affected by insulin in which adipose was winning the competition. That that's a, a good idea in the sense that all the a lot of the pieces seem to fit with that, but in a dairy cow, mammary milk synthesis has a really high priority, and the idea that adipose tissue would somehow be compete with mammary gland and win a competition just didn't seem very likely. However, it was a theory that held through the late 70s, 80s, into the early 90s. And many of the applied things people tried to do then was based around this theory. However, infusions of starch, glucose, or propanate, many, many studies, really didn't consistently show an effect on milk fat synthesis. The other thing was the changes in milk composition you saw when you did see a milk fat effect were different than what occurs with diet-induced milk-fat depression. Uh, And so overall, then, the studies really provided little or no support for theories involving a shortage of precursors for milk-fat synthesis. The the second type of uh, possible cause of the milk-fat depression, then, was the idea there was a direct inhibition of milk-fat synthesis. And that was an idea that actually went back to some comments that Carl Davis and Dick Brown had included in a review. And a particular key study was one done by Miko Greenery in which he designed diets uh, that were able to separate that you really needed two conditions to get the milk fat depression. You needed an altered rumen fermentation, which was, had been recognized for some time because uh, altered rumen fermentation was associated with changes in the VFA molar ratios. However, the part that that was really unique was he designed diets that had very little negligible amounts of polyunsaturated fatty acids. And when that was done, then you really don't get milk fat depression unless you have both of these conditions. You can alter the rumen fermentation, but if you don't have polyunsaturated fatty acids, you will not get milk fat depression and vice versa. So these two conditions are really telling us something uh, particularly significant. They're telling us that, that this really has to be an interaction between processes occurring in the rumen digestive tract, to be associated with rumen fermentation and it has to also then involve mammary synthesis of milk fat. Now this makes the problem challenging to study. You really can't put it in a test tube or a culture system or an in vitro system because you need both the rumen digestive processes and the mammary synthesis of milk fat to to look at this problem. So you really have to do the work in vivo. And the idea was, or one of the early ideas, by now we're into the 1990s and in the first part of this century, the trance theory of milk fat depression. That when you have this shift in rumen fermentation, you alter the rumen microbes. So you end up forming trans fatty acids in the rumen, some unique trans fatty acid isomers in the biohydrogenation process. And some of these must get absorbed and inhibit mammary fat synthesis, causing milk fat depression. So this theory sounded good. Our challenge was we really couldn't analyze these different intermediates of fatty acids. This captures it in terms of the cow. So the cow consumes a diet. The diets, our typical dairy diet has unsaturated fatty acids in it. The rumen normally biohydrogenates almost all of these fatty acids. But in this situation, uh, the idea was you had some intermediates that were escaping rumen fermentation that were adversely affecting rates of milk fat synthesis. Get rumen biohydrogenation then in kind of a simplified style. Uh, shown here are the are two of the major the major polyunsaturated fatty acids in ruminant diets: uh, linoleic acid C18:2 and linol linolenic acid C18:3. And you can see the progression is to. Uh, Let's look at linoleic first. To first uh, change this double bond, move this double bond, so you have cis-9 trans-11. And in turn, then you hydrogenate the cis-9 double bond to give you trans 18 trans-11. And then a second hydrogenation step to give you stearic acid. And linolenic acid, has a similar progression, a little more complicated if you draw in all the possibilities. But it still goes through trans-11, And these two fatty acids, cis-9 trans-11, CLA, conjugated linoleic acid, is given the common name ruminic acid because ruminant fats are where you typically would find this and trans 11 1 is given the common name vaccenic acid milk fatty acid in terms of its translation uh because it's the major trans fatty acid in milk fat trans 1 now the theory or our theory was that there were some different intermediates made here and so we could not separate all the different trans 181 isomers and so again uh, miko greenery really worked out through a sequence of different runs with the gas chromatograph to separate out the different isomers and so here's the profile of trans 181 isomers in normal milk fat and the major one is the scenic acid trans 11 and you can see when we were finally able to separate these, these lo and behold, trans ten eighteen one one increases in milk fat depression, suggesting that must be involved in some pathway that becomes important in this process. So if we draw the schematic, instead of going this typical way to make the rumenic acid and vicinic acid and then sterate, it must be going off to alternative routes to form this trans 10 one And that would involve this intermediate trans-10-cis-12. When you look at linoleic acid, it means instead of first moving the cis-12 double bond like you have here, instead you move the cis-9 double bond. And so you have trans 10 cis 12 cla so something about this seemed likely to be related to milk fat depression now none of these are none of these unique fatty acids are available commercially that you could buy them even even small amounts for standards so that provided lots of challenges and we had to work in vivo so the way we were able to do this was to abomasally infuse some of these fatty acid isomers for a few days and look at their effect on milk fat. And By going through the rumen fistula with this setup here, we could in fact infuse into this bottle that was in the abomasum, this collar kept the bottle in the abomasum, and we could get a chance to bypass. The rumen, so we didn't have the bugs altering the fatty acids and figure out what they were doing. And so here's the very first study done by Lance Baumgard where we compared these two CLA isomers, rumenic acid and then the trans 10 cis 12. And you can see we did a four day infusion. Once you start infusing at 1012, milk fat immediately dropped in half. We stop infusing, it comes back. Now we're infusing very, very small amounts. So This fatty acid is really bioactive. Together, the theory, the biohydrogenation theory of milk fat depression, that under certain conditions, rumen biohydrogenation results in unique fatty acids that are potent inhibitors of milk fat synthesis. For example, trans 10 cis 12 CLA and possibly other related intermediates from the polyunsaturated fatty acids. So, with this, then we had a cause and we also had a direction we could go in terms of figuring out applied situations and practices that could minimize that. Now, let me show you this gas chromatograph of milk fatty acids. Just to show you the challenge we were facing, because this all happened uh, about 10, 15 years ago. So here's the control fatty acid profile. And here's the milk fat depressed. Can you see the peaks that are different? Well, you can't see them because they're right here in this region. The next slide, I'll expand that region. And here's that region expanded. Here's the major CLA isomer in milk fat, rumenic acid, which doesn't have an effect on milk fat synthesis. And here's trans-10, cis-12. So, so you now have perhaps a better feel for the challenge it is, it was to identify this, but also what small, very small amounts of these bioactive fatty acids are really potent. Dose response curve it's using different amounts of trans-10 cis-12. You can see how it goes down very fast, uh, and gives you your typical dose response curve. It turns out that that this inhibits milk fat synthesis uh, in most all species, including humans. But an interesting thing, when we compare what the curve looks like with diet-induced milk fat depression, you can see this is a little steeper curve for the the level of 10-12 versus milk fat depression. And so one explanation for this is there would be other fatty acids that are causing the depression. So we went after that. It means that we really are altering the pathways, and so other isomers, could be involved, and so as we got into this, it turned out to be a much more complicated situation than we fully appreciated. Here's rumenic acid in milk fat; it's seventy-three to ninety-one percent of the CLAs. But look at all these other fatty acids, CLAs that are in milk fat. Here's ten, twelve. And so knowing this level, these small levels can have an impact, any of these could as well. We began to try to sort that out and identify which ones would be involved. To do that, we really had to to synthesize some of these ourselves. Uh, we worked with Natural in Norway, uh, asked Garcebo to get some of these. We worked with... Nestle Nutrition in Switzerland. We worked with FDA Food uh, Food Safety Division to synthesize some of these, and we, sent the, we had quite a number of these isomers synthesized so we could test. Here's the ones we've tested that cause milk fat depression. So at this point, we've really identified three that that seem to be associated with Non-fat depression, trans-10, cis-12, cis-10, trans-12, and the reverse isomer for ruminic acid, trans-9, cis-11. My guess would be there are more, but it's difficult to study them. We also looked. We and others have also looked at some of the the trans-18:1 isomers. And we're able to infuse larger amounts of these because they're present more. And with some inconsistencies, it seems like these all of these are incorporated into milk fat, and none of them affected milk fat yield in any substantial manner. And is the interesting one, though, because it turns out this plot shows the the, the relationship between the milk fat content of trans-12 and milk fat percent. Trans content of milk fat and milk fat percent. and You can see how the more trans-10 there is, the lower the milk fat and quite a sharp decline. Uh, Some of these are diets even you don't think of having milk fat depression. But it seems like that on most diets, even you have some small degree. And so, trans 10, while it may not be causing milk fat depression, it is definitely a great marker for this altered rumen fermentation associated with milk fat depression. So, you can, and it's much easier to analyze than the CLA isomers. So, you can analyze this in your milk fat and tell if this is the direction you need to go in resolving your problem. Now then, we have a situation that that milk fat is specific fatty acids, bioactive fatty acids, are somehow shutting down milk fat synthesis. How are they doing that? And so that really has to involve gene expression. And so this is the gene the regulatory arm of the gene. We have shown here the promoter and activator repressors. And so some transcription factor or activator repressors coming in and modulating the expression of some of the key genes for the enzymes involved in milk fat synthesis. And so we, we considered that Here are the different proteins, fatty acid sensor proteins, that is proteins that are known to regulate uh, some of the fatty acid synthesizing genes. And in particular, these over here, these two, are key ones, SREBP and S14. And so initially worked by Dan Peterson, but in particular then Kevin Harvideen did the classic studies identifying these two. And so you have the situation shown here. In the right-hand profile is a milk fat percent. So we have control orange. Aqua is a CLA isomer when we're infusing 1012. And blue is when we're feeding a high uh, low-fiber, high-oil diet. So you see how milk fat goes down. Here's how the level of this regulatory protein, SREBP, goes down the same way. And so the expression of SREBP is highly correlated. And in particular, these key genes involved in lipid synthesis have a region in their gene that recognizes the SREBP active complex of the SRBP and shuts down the expression of the gene. And so T enzymes such as carboxylase, synthetase, and so forth, all are coordinately down regulated when you have milk fat depression. They all contain this promoter region for this active form of the SRBP. So they're all regulated by SRBP. So that's been an amazing story bringing that all together. I I'd like to digress just a moment before I wrap it up here to to make the point that we we're dealing here with bioactive fatty acids. So here's cis-9 trans-11 rumenic acid. And here's trans-10 cis-12. So this one causes here's a double bonds. This one causes milk fat depression, and in fact, it inhibits lipid synthesis in lots of tissues. This one does not. The double bonds are just moved one location. However, this rumenic acid is a potent anti-carcinogen and also anti-arthrogenic. So this rumenic acid is the one, the CLA you hear about that we're trying to increase the level In milk because it's a fatty acid that has functional food properties and the concept is that that this is part of this uh, bioactive fatty acids that that are allowing uh, that are helping in health maintenance and the prevention of chronic diseases so it's amazing just moving that double bond has this dramatic effect in the biological role that these different fatty acids play, so we have a lot to learn in in humans. they've called this the microbiome era, and so you hear about different microbiomes having a role in preventing chronic
2: diseases.
1: So let me summarize then milk fatty acids. No fat depression is caused by bioactive fatty acids that originate from rumen biohydrogenation of unsaturated fatty acids. So it's from the partial biohydrogenation. And the rumen environment is critical in this. It really involves interactions on quite a number of factors. These bioactive fatty acids then, if they pass to the small intestine, they're taken up by the mammary gland and they act to down regulate the expression of the genes for key enzymes that are controlling milk fat synthesis. And finally, I tried to make the point that not all fatty acids are created equal. And the location and geometric configuration of the double bonds results in marked differences in the biological effects of these fatty acids. In the term nutrigenomics, the idea that the dietary components or components absorbed from the digestive tract. In addition, they can provide nutrition, but they also can have effects on regulation of gene expression, gene expression, epigenetic effects. And so this is a whole new era that's being looked at. And diet-induced milk fat depression really represents nutrigenomics in action, and of course, it's really biologically significant. Finally, I wanted to uh, list some of the people that have contributed to various parts of this, um, both in our group and interactions, but also people, FDA and Nestle and Natural that were involved in making work. And with that, I'll try to take any questions you might have.
0: Okay, Dale, go I'm gonna do yeah. a couple yep, I'm gonna do a couple housekeeping details and introduce the next webinar presenter and then we'll go to questions. Um, if the audience wants to write any questions they might have in the question and answer window um, I will ask them for them. So first, let me um, introduce our next month's webinar. Our next month will feature Dr. Christian Croywagen, an emeritus professor in the Department of Animal Sciences at the Stellenbosch University of South Africa. After working in the Department of Agriculture as a research scientist for 21 years, he joined the Stellenbosch University in 1996. His research fo- focuses on the nutrition of dairy cattle and calves, and he has 116 scientific and popular articles to his credit. Dr. Wagon is a member and past president of South African Society of Animal Science and a member of the American Dairy Science Association. He is also the former chair of the Agricultural Microscopy Division of the American Oil Chemists Society awards include the south african society for animal science bronze medal the animal feed manufacturers association technical person of the year in in 2009 western cape provinces agriculturist of the year in 2009 and the stellenbosch university rector's award for research excellent in 2010. in deference to christian who is six hours ahead of us there will be us here in New York, and in consideration to audiences for whom the 6 p.m. time slot presents a challenge, we will hold the webinar next month at 1 p.m., and that will be August 9th, 1 p.m. I also want to thank our um, partners and sponsors, AMTS, USA and Global, 3R Lab, and Paula Torillo. The gold sponsor is Ejinomoto Heartland. The silver sponsors, our Arm and Hammer Animal Nutrition, R and D life scientist vertus makers of Stratus with EPA and DHA omega threes and prequel with omega sixes, Dairy One Forage Laboratory and Dairyland Laboratories. Our bronze sponsors are JeffO, Life Made Easier, Adaseo, Amino Max and Quality Liquid Feeds. I'm now going to open up the floor for questions. So if you want to go ahead and type it in, I'm going to allow um, our Brazilian host to ask their questions first because they actually start the webinar in Portuguese after this one's finished. So um, I'm going to introduce, I'm going to open up Dr. Bauman's microphone and also um, Marcos Pierre. So Marcos, if you have questions, go ahead. And Dale, you're unmuted, and I'm giving the presentation back to you so that you can move slides.
2: Okay, thank you. Thank Dr. Baldwin for the talk. Very clear, very direct. And I have a question here. Uh, someone wants uh, you to comment on the use of the as profile on troubleshooting nutrition in dairy herds, like probably using the preformed or mixed or the de novo, or, the trans-10 to trans-11 ratio? What do you think the potential? How how it can help the nutritionist? Uh,
1: So so the idea is, the question really centers around some of the work initially spearheaded by Dave Barbano, uh, and and depending on uh, being able to analyze the milk fatty acid profile uh, more quickly, at least in uh, broad categories and and so that is currently being tested and at the recent a d s a meetings there there were quite a number of presentations related to that uh, i I think the potential is good at this point though t- to me uh it still hasn 't quite evolved to the place where we can confidently predict uh, or know exactly how to use it. It, it is clear as uh, you could probably tell from my presentation that under some of these situations, you definitely do see a change in the fatty acid pattern and and the extent to which the different situations match up with that profile is what's being characterized now. You really are interested in using that for a lot different situations than milk fat depression. You're used, You're interested in in using it uh, as a fine tuning management technique. And and at this point, I think it's still still in the testing stage, but it has really interesting potential.
2: Okay, thank you. I have another question here. Uh, assuming that the cow is producing the same amount of milk, like milking frequency, like two times a day, three times, or four times, would that affect milk fat concentration on a at a similar milk yield? I assume. Uh,
1: well, the when you I'm trying to recall when you increase the milking frequency. You you increase the milk yield and you also increase the milk fat yield. So so I think uh, that's a situation where the yield of the major milk components would move together: lactose, fat, and protein. There, there are other situations where they don't necessarily move together. Uh, but but in that case, I think they would.
2: Okay, have another one, the last one. Uh, sometimes we get the response in in milk fatty acid profile as a percentage of the total fatty acids. And sometimes we get the response in secretion per day. Like or, or, how how would you interpret that? Like uh, for example, the secretion of CLAs in grams per day, see kind of what the memory gland is making. And you talk, we talk a lot about the proportion of the, VF, of the fatty acid, but sometimes see, we don't get anything on the proportion, and we get on the secretion.
1: You get it on how? Oh. Yeah, yeah. That, that's a good question, and that's part of the the reason for really understanding the different fatty acid composition and what that exactly means. Uh, you can do. You have different situations where. Sometimes people will contact me and say they have milk fat depression, and when I look at their situation closely, they don't have milk fat depression they they just have one of these situations where milk yield has been affected, and in turn you you end up affecting fat yield so so you you need to uh consider that in in evaluating the situation uh in I think, in terms of what I'm talking about, you you see a change in the quantity, and when you look at the pattern, then you will see a change in the you'll see a difference in the pattern. If the pattern isn't changed, then I think quantity differences you're really not dealing with a diet induced milk fat depression per se. You're dealing with some other physiological situation. You you also will sometimes see when you when you're looking at uh, the pattern you will see the long chain fatty acids increase and, and in you will you will not see the short and medium chain fatty acids decrease but you'll see the long chain fatty acids increase. So that's also a little different situation, and that almost always is a situation where your your animal is mobilizing body fat, and and the fat that's mobilized uh, is is taken up quite extensively and incorporated into milk fat. And, and so, anytime you have a situation where you you increase fat mobilization from body reserves, you will see milk fat percent go up. And that increase in percent will be due to longer chain fatty acids.
2: Another one here, uh, what you, would be your safe limit for unsaturated fatty acids in the diet?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I, I don't tend to uh, look at it because it's so variable. You, you obviously want to ask the question: What is your, your unsaturated fatty acid load? What Uh Even when you're looking at unsaturated fatty acids, although the c think the one no fatty no fat depression, but but it depends on on the source. The different sources. It depends on. The forms those are in, for example, the, if they're salts, if they're calcium salts, for example, those are more slowly released in the rumen. They're not, they're not inert, but they're released. They disassociate slow enough in the rumen. They tend not to produce uh, some of the biohydrogenation intermediates. It depends on how you feed them. If you're feeding more frequently, that's less likely to have a complication. If you're slug feeding, and so they're getting a a larger dose of the polyunsaturates, particularly 18:2, at one time, that's that's more of a problem. And so uh, and so you have to consider a number of different things. Uh, In the US, oftentimes, the milk fat depression ended up being associated with distiller's grains, where the the fatty acid composition, the percent fat and the type of fatty acid varied in what is it would cause uh, saturated fatty acid supplements then those those don't cause the problem cuz and, and in fact those are palmitate, dietary palmitate is transferred to milk fat with about 15 to 20% efficiency so 15 to 20% of the dietary palmitate will be taken up by the mammary gland and incorporated in the milk fat so the the question is the answer to the question is complicated, and it really depends on the concentration of fatty acid in the basal diet, the diet type, and a lot of conditions related to how you're feeding the animal and that that rumen fermentation changes in the rumen fermentation.
2: Oh, Thanks a lot for the talk. I'll go on to the other one. All Thank right. You. Bye, Marcos. Bye-bye. Bye.
3: Too.
0: bye. bye. Okay, so um, we have a number of questions. I know that Paula in Argentina has probably many questions. I've had some questions coming in, and what we'll do is ask a couple questions from um, the um, English-speaking audience, and then Paula will ask a few questions from hers. So if you have been writing in questions in the chat or the question and answer window, I do see them, and I, I will get to them. I'm going to ask a couple from Tim Davies in um, the UK, because I know that he's probably struggling to keep his eyes awake. He says he's been, he I know he had a cup of tea about three hours ago. He had a question that he sent me um, three hours ago, Dale, and this is, he says, um, I'm just reading a paper by Adam Locke about Rufals, rumen unsaturated fatty acid load, and he thinks that calculating RUFL would be potential indicator for milk fat depression. How do you calculate RUFL? Is it simply calculating the grams of oleic, linoleic, and linoleic provided by the diet? Or would you put a different weight on the different fatty acids? And I recognize that you may be answering some questions repeatedly, but probably they are worthy of that. So go ahead with that one.
1: Oh, uh- so I'm not so good at questions like that because uh my background is more the nutritional biochemistry but uh, the rumen when you calculate the rumen load I'd have to look up to see exactly how they calculate that but you just sum in the rumen load but I know the the linoleic acid the 182 is the one that's most important in that load when you're looking at that. And so these are all intended to be guidelines to help you uh, in in avoiding or in troubleshooting the milk fat depression situation.
0: Okay, and I think um, I was hoping Adam would join us, but I think he's on holiday. Um,
1: how about, how, how about uh, Tom Jenkins? Is he on? I-
0: I don't see time on my list.
1: Jenkins is the one who started the concept or, or recognized the concept of RUFL. Yep. And, and it's just logical that, that the total load of unsaturated fatty acids is, is really going to be a, an important consideration in the, the dynamics of the human biohydrogenation.
0: Okay. And well, I and I would advise our listeners to look at the archives because Tom Jenkins was on a year ago May and um Adam is lined up for 2018. So I know that milk fat depression is a big concern to a lot of producers um and we're trying to sort of set up the webinars so that we can accommodate that.
1: Um I think it's a fast-moving field too. Now now that we've identified the cause, we can really zero down in and and work better to to consider how the interactions occur in some of these risk factors. And and perhaps even by that time, there will be more information on how to use the milk fatty acid, the overall milk fatty acid composition for uh, management decisions.
0: I did have um a comment from Jim Aldrich who's listening and he said Rufal is a sum of eighteen one, eighteen two and eighteen three, but eighteen two should be weighted as you said.
1: Yeah, eighteen one, eighteen two, and eighteen three are really you know statuary acids that are in a diet, so Okay. There's um they're a the s- major I'm ones. Sorry. Yeah. Good point.
0: A second Thanks, question Jim. I had from Tim is um how would you go about calculating the acid load of a diet? Would it would it, for example, be a case of calculating the grams of lactic acid supplied by individual ingredient, ingredients, and would that tell us anything?
1: I am sorry, but I can't really answer that. Yeah.
0: You know what? And I, a lot of these questions, when we get to something like that, sometimes I fire them off to the various people and um, have them look at it, and then they get back to them. So. I will make a note. Um, and then I'm going to do one last
1: question. So lactic acid, you're dealing really with the rumen fermentation
2: mm-hmm. and the
1: idea that that when you have a lower rumen fermentation, you're into the environment that, that uh, promotes those types of bacteria that would be making some of these uh, unusual biohydrogenation intermediates.
0: Okay. Um, And then a last question or comment from Tim Davies is, um, let's see, what are the key drivers for the switch towards synthesis of trans-10 and um, cis-12 CLAs?
1: Versus normal biogenation? Yes. Well, uh, certainly I can make a list of some of the associated effects. Uh certainly the dietary fatty acids, the type, the profile and the level of them is going to make a difference. Uh how available these fatty acids in the diet are in the diet or in the supplement are. If they're less available or they're more gradually available become available, then they don't they don't over challenge the biohydrogenation system. Uh the dietary carbohydrate profile and the rate and extent of fermentation, those would all be part of the story because because that'll change the type of rumen bacteria, microbiota that are there to affect the biohydrogenation. So that's why things like effective fiber and the dietary carbohydrate profile come in. Uh, things like feeding strategies in management, too, because uh, frequent feeding, ways to avoid a uh, high load of the polyunsaturates into the rumen. So frequent feeding, avoid slug feeding, frequent pushback of feed. All those would be things you could do that would tend to reduce your risk. Types of forage makes a difference because of their forage effects on the fermentation. So those would be a few things Mm -hmm. that are major.
0: Um, I do have a comment from, um, and I'm going to say this last name wrong, but you know who it is, Miko Griniere? Greenery. Greenery. Um, She?
1: So he's he's in Finland. Think of him getting up.
0: He yeah well he said thanks for a really nice summary and he's gonna sign sign out and go to bed so <laughs> um, and it, it maybe he's already off. Um, how, nice Paul, that, how
1: nice that he's on.
0: Yes yes I, I lots of people were very interested. Um, Paul Paula I'm gonna see if you can talk. Are you good now Paula?
3: Hello I'm here. Can you hear good, me? Good good yes. Perfect. Okay thank you very much Dr Baumann. A lot of questions. The first one. Uh, when troubleshooting um, milk um, fat depression issue, how much time do we have to look back to check for a change in the diet or management?
1: How fast you're thinking how fast does milk fat depression occur if you make some change? Yes. So it because you're dealing with rumen fermentation you have a few days involved there. So uh Kevin Harbertine's group at Penn State has have done some studies working out the timing, but but as I recall, basically it's around a week for the situation to fully develop, and then it's an equal amount of time to overcome when you make a correction. So that means when you do make corrections, you're going to have to give it a period of time to know uh, if your correction was a good one.
3: Okay. Perfect. I have a second question from William. Uh, he's from Peru. Would it be helpful to um, in, infuse butyric acid in women to avoid mid-fat depression?
1: Interesting question. No, that would not help. Uh, you're you're thinking infuse. I, I think the question is probably based on that idea. If you infuse bacenic acid, trans 11, then you would not necessarily make the 1012. But but I don't think that would be true.
3: Okay, here is a question uh, of Matias from Argentina Can you make some comments about milk fat depression, an effective NDF starch, or NFC?
1: Well, those are all important uh, important in maintaining normal rumen fermentation and then avoiding a situation where you you get this shift toward a microbial population that would result in these this uh alternative pathways of biohydrogenation. So, I think uh as the questioner would be aware that's one of those situations you have a lot of interactions going on but if if you are having a problem that that would be a place to look to uh well if you if you were if i was troubleshooting i would first make sure i really do have a milk fat depression problem and, and if, was, if i was able to do so i would run milk fatty acid composition and just Make sure I have the trans-10 change so that I'm really dealing with the classical milk fat depression. And then work from there uh, toward changing the the uh, effective fiber or the feeding strategy, or any of these type of situations that uh, increase the forage NDF and effective fiber, these type of situations. I presume there would be some change in the diet that would have occurred or in the feed type that would have occurred that perhaps could help you pinpoint where to focus.
3: Okay, regarding this, I have two questions. One is, which is the level of milk fat when you say, okay, we have to do something, and the second, if we have several risk factors for MDF, which one is more important to to work on first? I, I mean, which factor has major effects on mid-fat depression? Uh, is it a f- a fiber or oils? And
1: okay. Uh, that, that's a hard question to answer. Which. Because the one that would be most important might differ for each individual situation, I would look if you have milk fat depression, I would first look at your fatty acids compositions. what are you feeding? Are you feeding dietary supplements lipid supplements that could be the problem or or some dietary ingredient like the distillers I mentioned that could be the problem i I would look then at uh or at the same time I would look at at your diet to to think in terms of the uh effective fiber and NDF. And and of course it's real oftentimes it's easy to change feeding strategies if that if that has gone through changes that would make it so your feed is being tending to be more slug fed than what it was before. So so there's not one thing. I think it would depend on your situation. But but the, those four or five would represent areas that you would very quickly look at and try to assess which ones are more likely to have caused your problem or which ones you can more easily change.
0: Okay. <laughs> um, so, I'm going to go with a question from Bill Top. Um He said, feeding palm fat is very widespread. What effect does it have on the trans-10-cis-12 balance? How is it affecting the omega-3 and omega-6 balance in the dairy cow, and will it affect the reproductive efficiency in the Holstein cow? Oh, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot wrapped in that one.
1: There, there is, and uh, there's such good work coming out on palm fat, but I'm not involved in any of that work anymore.
0: Um, who, do, who is doing that?
1: Uh, Adam Locke would be one. Okay. And palm fat is not the C16 is not going to cause milk fat depression. That's one of the advantages of that. But
0: so, um, I guess we'll. I might just send that off to Adam. Um,
2: Sorry, I'm going
0: up to a question from Salvador Ordaz, and he says he's working in a farm in northern Mexico. His question is, how can he use the rueful or other variables reported in the forage analysis, and then later he says um, TMR analysis, perhaps, to take better decisions on our farms in terms of the use of bypass fats.
1: Well, I think uh, again, I'm not a uh, in the field, practicing these things, but essentially, I think you have a list of of uh, factors that are associated with with uh, milk fat depression, risk factors, you might call them, and and so uh, you would work with this list, and as you're formulating the diet, if and try to keep this in mind. Uh, I know more and more lipid supplements are added uh, to get to be able to formulate higher energy diets. These are a challenge, particularly if there's C18-2, that the calcium salts of polyunsaturated fatty acids were were uh, protected from from uh, becoming available in the rumen. We we know now that's not true. They they're they're not inert. They're not protected, but they but it does offer. Uh, it does slow down the rate at which they're they're disassociated to uh, to not adversely affect the microbial population and also to uh, have less effect on the biohydrogenation steps. So I I guess I'm not able to say A B C, mm-hmm. but rather to. Say Say so, uh, you look at this list of risk factors, and then work with that in formulating a diet.
0: It sounds like we could put together a nice article and put and put it up on our blog post for some of these questions. Um, I have a question from Alberto Navas. He says, "Thank you very much for sharing your knowledge." And his question is: Which level of what level of pH do you expect to start showing milk fat depression?
1: Well again see that depends on all these interactions. Uh if I go back to the classic experiments that uh Greenery did uh you can have a low rumen pH as long as you don't have you have very low polyunsaturated fatty acids in the diet it's not going to be a problem. On the other hand if you have a high level of polyunsaturates even a more modest change in in the rumen pH can 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 trigger the situation, so you have a problem. So, so it's really due to these interactions, rather than thinking there is a particular pH uh, that you can target and avoid and not have a complication. Uh,
0: the summary is it's all very complicated.
1: <laughs> uh, complicated. In one sense, but it's really the interactions, and we now know the main players in the interaction. We You just need to uh, be able to handle all those,
2: okay.
1: or, or use those in terms of troubleshooting if you are having problems.
0: All right, thank you. Um, let's see, I'll check and see if um, Paula has more questions. Paula? Yes,
3: yes, okay. Marian. I have okay. a lot. Good. No
0: um I'm I'm actually don't have anything in my window right now so you can go ahead for a while.
3: Okay. A question from William, if we feed bypass fats, we don't affect women neither liver function. It just goes directly to the mammary gland. Is it true?
1: Uh if you feed fats that actually are bypass, some bypass fat don't bypass completely but uh then, if those fatty acids are absorbed, then the mammary gland will will use them quite extensively. Yes, and palmitate's the one that's best characterized, uh, and that's about fifteen to twenty percent of of what you supply in a supplement. You'll get that increase in milk fat. Okay.
3: Okay, another question, could some byproducts like rice hulls or soybean meal increase meal fat depression? Please make some comments if there is any difference between extruded soybean meal or roasted soybean.
1: I'm, uh, that. That's a good question, and I'm really not knowledgeable enough to answer that. Uh, the rice hulls would depend on the extent to which they affect the rumen fermentation, but uh, on the soybeans, it would be a matter of how fast the oil becomes available, how fast the fatty acids in the different forms of the soybean uh, become available in the rumen. And, and I, I'm sure that's known, but I don't recall it right now.
3: Okay, perfect. Uh, another question, this is from Uruguay, Eduardo is asking, uh, is asking you to make some comments about milk fat depression during late winter, early spring under grazing conditions. It's, a, a, it's typical in Uruguay uh, that cows are grazing right like now, and uh, in late winter they have this, uh, this problem with milk fat depression.
1: Yes. Uh, so again, that that comes back to these interactions between the dietary factors and the fatty acid supply and the and the rumen fermentation. But I can't. I'm really really not going to be able to give any better answer. Okay.
3: Um this is a, a question from William. Okay. When cows are lactating is there an insulin insensibilization, I don't know if that word exists <laughs> of other tissues than mammary gland?
1: The the answer to that is yes. The way no that that one I can answer. The the way the body is able to redirect nutrient use is oftentimes through how tissues respond to these acute signals like insulin. And in the case of the dairy cow with the onset of lactation, uh, while the mammary gland is not insulin responsive, not sensitive to insulin, the other body tissues like muscle or adipose tissue, their insulin sensitivity is reduced. And what that does then is allow more of the glucose to be, so less of the glucose is used by those tissues, and therefore more of the glucose is available to go to the mammary gland. So the the way to think of it as is, is that uh, nature has accorded milk synthesis the highest priority, and and so it lets the mammary gland make milk and makes and the other body tissues have to change their quantity and pattern of nutrients they use to allow the mammary gland to get its nutrients it needs. Same thing happens in late pregnancy where the fetus the uptake of glucose by the fetus is also not insulin sensitive. And yet the fetus needs tremendous amounts of glucose in the last phases of development, and so the way the body does that is, you, is mother's other tissues of the cow, of, of the mother, uh, adapt to use less to allow more to be available for the
3: Another question, does lipid mobilization during early lactation influence lipid metabolization of those fatty acids that affects negatively milk fat synthesis?
1: Uh, no, not in general. The the mobilization, the fatty acids that are in adipose tissue are the longer chain fatty acids, so C16 saturated and the longer chain unsaturated ones, uh, mainly oleic C18 one Uh And so when they're mobilized, they're they're circulate as uh, free fatty acids, and the mammary gland takes up quite a high percent of those as they go by and puts them right into milk fat.
3: Okay, perfect. And the last one, besides milk fat content reduction, is this a pathologic condition for the cow? should we expect lower carbohydrates digestibility and lower efficiency
1: that's also a good question i think i'm aware of herds that have had milk fat depression uh for years several years and not had any adverse effects on the herd on the health of the herd or the life of the animals However, you can easily see that some of these conditions that lead to milk fat depression are ones where where you're really upsetting the rumen fermentation. And so the extent to which you would get into some of those situations would would not be good for the overall health and well-being of the cow. So I guess a little bit of depression is not really I don't think of it as a health problem. But uh too extensive if you have very extensive adverse effects on the rumen, that's not gonna be good. Okay,
3: perfect. Okay, Marianne, I do not have any more
0: questions. Okay. Um
3: I have I have a
0: question. Um, let's see. This is from Mohammed Lafti. Mudged. I'm not sure how to say his last name. <laughs> um, thank you for the interesting presentation. How can we manage our ration to have some predict the same predicted milk fat and milk and milk fat as actually is seen in the cows? Because it can affect ME and MP balance and dry matter predict dry matter intake prediction. It is very important to have your. Um, your intended milk fat and the result be the same or at least close. And I think he's speaking specifically of working within the model. Oh. And, and I know that you haven't had um, much experience doing that. No. Right. This is, I think this might be one that I can toss over to um, Tom or Sam to address. Sure. There's a lot of questions that we've had tonight that are very much like, um, on the practical side of this whole milk, fat, depression issue. And you and I talked last week that 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 was something that it would be great to have one of the more um, cow centered nutritionists available to help field these questions. And um, what we'll do is put together. um, I'll go through all of these questions and see if we can't put together a really good um, topic of discussion. And as always, when I'm looking for speakers for the nutritionist. Um, I try to keep in mind what people are really, really focused on and trying to solve in their herds and their issues. So um it certainly is I think unless we get some more questions, I don't believe Paula has any more and I have no more questions in my window. So um we might let you off the hook okay.
1: shortly. <laughs> I, I would agree and I would agree with your last statement. I think the the progress just in the last few years, progress and changes in lipid supplement, the whole area of lipid supplement, uh, and and now this effort to see if you could use fatty acid composition to troubleshoot or at least a bulk tank sample, uh, th- those are all things that are going to make us a lively area here for the next
0: well and I, I believe in November Heather Dan from the Minor Institute is going mm-hmm. to be our um presenter and she's been working a lot with um Barbano on yes. the questions of um changing milk fat and milk fat depression through diet. So yes. um everyone that asks questions stay tuned, I guess.
2: So Excellent.
0: All right, Thank Paula you. Uh, thank you so much. This has been a real pleasure. Paula says thank you, and she has no more questions. Thanks very much for joining us. I will close out the webinar, and everybody can digest what
1: they've heard. So, Thank you. Thanks a lot, Dale. Good luck.
0: Thank you. Bye.